1: 22-year-old Masa Amini was traveling with her brother to Tehran when Iran's morality police arrested her, according to Iranian media reports. The reason? Improper hijab. Then, days later, she died in police custody. Her family claims she was beaten by police. The incident sparked nationwide protests. A rallying cry has traveled far and wide, beyond Iran's borders. This call is for more freedoms and rights for Iranian women. Nashville is home to the largest Kurdish population in North America, and it's home to a large Iranian population. So how are members of our community reacting? That's coming up later in the hour. But first, the Tennessee Titans and Mayor John Cooper have reached a $2.2 billion deal to build a new football stadium on the east bank of the Cumberland River. They're saying it won't cost taxpayers and that's actually cheaper than maintaining Nissan Stadium. A dome stadium would also be a major attraction, maybe even for a Super Bowl, but could be the centerpiece of a new neighborhood between downtown and East Nashville. But how true is all that? WPLN reporter, Metro reporter, Ambriel Crutchfield has been following the story, and she joins us now. Hey, Ambriel, thanks for being here.
2: Hey, thanks.
1: So first of all, tell us, what was the mayor and the titans what are they proposing
2: yeah they're proposing a domed stadium that will be built directly east of the current nissan stadium on land that is currently just parking lots so um, i'm like a visual person so we're thinking closer to the interstate um which is also more closer to the 500 year plane is what flooding plane is what i'm referring to
1: okay how much is 2.2 million dollars billion dollars is a lot of money so why are they doing this
2: Yeah. So, um, in the 1996 lease agreement that we have with, um, the Titans, we are obligated as a city to provide a first-class stadium until 2039. And basically the mayor is saying that, um, why dump money into maintaining something that's going to cost a lot of money when we can just put this money into building something new. Um, there was an economic report done that estimated the cost Um, of, you know, fixing up the stadium we already have would be about $1.75 billion, um, up to close to $2 billion. So um, they're thinking that that would be a better option because also the state is putting up money um, for a new domed stadium. So a lot of money is contingent on doing new and domed instead of the city having to carry the burden of fixing up what we have.
1: All right, so that's why they don't want to keep the current stadium. But how can they pay to build a new one without borrowing or taking money out of the city's operating budget?
2: Right, so there are going to be four different sources of income coming in. Um, One is like football-related sources, think like the Titans. uh, They're still waiting on the NFL to give final approval. And then these PSL sales. Um, The second would be from the state, which is a one-time contribution contingent on it being a new enclosed stadium. That's $500 million dollars. Third is the state is allowing the city to up the hotel and motel tax by 1%. So that would be some more money. And then the fourth one would be stadium slash campus uh, sales tax that's collected. Um, And one thing that was really reiterated in the press conference yesterday is that, you know, say we have a really bad year with tourism, um, which, you know, they're, counting on like what has happened post-COVID as like, oh, this won't happen again Mm -hmm. um, because we've rebounded pretty nice. But basically they were saying the Titans would be on the hook for all of that and not taxpayers.
1: You know, I saw a tweet this morning from local journalist Alex Hubbard that said, quote, I'm not sure if I could find a Nashville resident who actually wants a new stadium, liberal, conservative, anti-tax, pro-spending, anybody of any stripe, end quote. You know, we see a lot of this sentiment, including when we've had previous shows on this topic. So what are skeptics and critics saying about the announcement?
2: Yeah, so... um The skeptics I've mainly heard from so far are more affiliated or like in the metro realm. So uh, take, for instance, Bob Mendez from the council. He's skeptical that the one page economic impact that we've seen, that there is like a significant jump in numbers for how much renovation would cost. And he really wants to understand the methodology that was taken to uh, get to the numbers that they arrived at. Um, And just also he points out that like he believes the mayor would hire whoever's going to, you know, support his viewpoint. Hmm. But then there's also people like housing organizers like Melissa Cherry, who are questioning Why housing and like things that are supposed to be for the public are being put in the 100 year flood zone. Um, And that's something Caroline and I have talked quite a bit about. So Caroline, our environmental reporter, that is.
1: Caroline Eggers. Yes. Now, one interesting thing about Nissan Stadium is that Tennessee State plays some of its games there. So what's going to happen to that?
2: Right. So within if we get a new stadium, um, there will be up to four Tennessee State University home games each year there. And they'll get a dedicated locker room and TSU won't have to pay rent under this new deal. Not really sure like what will happen. Uh, I'm not sure what will happen with the rest of the games, like where they're going to play those at.
1: Metro Council will have to approve this deal before it's finalized. I can't imagine that's going to be an easy green light, let's say. So what are you expecting from the council?
2: Um, I mean, I'm expecting them to really dissect this deal, like the numbers, how we arrived here. Um, I've heard, you know, there's been conversation about social impact study to see how it will benefit or impact residents that live beyond this area. Um, And also, you know, we have to make sure we keep talking about the new downtown East Bank neighborhood. These two things are very interlocked. Um, so I'm assuming a whole bunch of questions are going to come up in both areas, but I imagine that both are going to get passed. It's just, you know, I'm wondering what it'll look like once it's passed.
1: Mm-hmm. Ambriel Crutchfield is Metro Reporter at WPLN News. You can read her story at WPLN.org. Ambriel, thanks for being with us and thank you for your reporting.
2: Thank you. Have a good one.
1: You too. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll find out how the ongoing unrest in Iran is hitting home for members of Nashville's Iranian and Kurdish communities. If you're listening and are a part of these communities, we want to hear from you. Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. E. Colona, and this is Nashville. The Deaf. The death of 22-year-old Masa Amini in Tehran last month has sparked an ongoing display of protests against the country's conservative rules. Here in Nashville, the local Iranian and Kurdish communities have held a series of demonstrations to raise awareness of the protests in Iran. The latest was this past weekend. We sent our producer, Rose Gilbert, to check it out.
3: About 50 people are gathered in front of the federal building on Broadway downtown. Many are holding handmade signs reading woman, life, freedom. Others wave the lion and sun flag, which was Iran's national flag before the 1979 revolution.
4: Justice for Masa. Justice for Masa.
5: Justice for Masa. Justice
3: for Cars pass by headed for South Broadway. Some of the drivers look confused. Others hold up peace signs or honk in support. We are, we are And we're here protesting against the death of Massa Amini and the corrupt government of Iran. People in Tehran are protesting and they're getting killed by the morality police who have no morals at all. That's 18 year old Bita Bahwavaji. She's here with her mother, Farah, who moved to Nashville from Iran in the 90s.
2: It's getting much, much worse than 30 years ago. 30 years ago was awful, but now is much, much worse.
3: Like many others at the demonstration, Farah is frustrated over the lack of action from the U.S. government.
2: Do something about it. Do something about it. Do something about it. I don't know what language we have to tell them. Biden has to do something about it. That's why
3: she and her daughter are here protesting today. Bita holds a corner of the flag, and a lock of her own hair. People are cutting off their hair to show that the the improper hijab should not be any sort of reason for death, and hair should be empowering. To be honest, it makes me feel happy that we're finally trying to make a change, but the more of us that there is, the more help we can create, so we need more people on our side. Her mother, Farah, agrees. Please be our
2: voice. Please, woman, please, women, please be our voice. I beg you guys, be our voice.
1: To gain a better understanding of what is happening in Iran and the demonstrations in town, I'd like to introduce my next guests. Mariam Abu-Fazli is a writer and Nashvilleian. She is joined by Ramona Hadari, who has helped to organize the local pro- protests. Mariam, Ramona, thank you both so much for being here. Welcome to thank This you is so Nashville. Much. Thank, thank you so all. much for having us. So let's start by getting a little bit more about what happened and what started these local demonstrations. Mariam, tell us. Tell us more about Masa, Amini.
4: Sure. Um, I, I was talking to a friend this morning, and he said, you know, I don't know anything about this, and the only place I see it is on your news feed. So I want to back up and just give a little bit of basic knowledge, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know, and we, we take for granted because we're obsessed with it right now. Um, I just want to say, like, you know, there was a revolution, a people's movement 43 years ago. Lots of promise for a free and just place under the eyes of God, and very quickly it became very authoritarian, very deadly. Uh, they arrested and killed thousands. Uh, fast forward uh, 43 years, many movements, many have died uh, trying to bring freedom and justice uh, for the people in Iran. And what we've got right now is an incredible, an incredible moment that we've never seen before. You have. 15-year-old, 20-year-old, 7-year-old girls driving this moment from within. And what happened, as you ask, Khalil, uh, Masamini Amini visiting Tehran, um, doing the normal thing, wearing her hijab, actually, just having some hair shown, which, to be honest, that happens all the time. And depending on the president and depending on the moment, that morality police that that girl was talking about in the protest might be tougher or not. And they they were crazy and they were brutal uh, towards Massa and she died as a result of it, which was extreme and it is that one flame that lit an incredible fire for people. It was too far too much and, and, and there was no going back from it and so basically people girls started protesting just in outrage, complete outrage that someone just has a strand of hair showing and they were killed for it and it has not died and I think it's really important to just let people know that so, when the powers came in 43 years ago, women had a lot of these freedoms. Mm. They were taken away. And just to give you an idea, a woman is half a witness in man as a man in court. Mm. So it takes two women to be a man in court. A woman has to put in divorce in her marriage contract or she does not get that divorce. A woman cannot sing and there are no public singers, no music with a woman's voice on the radio. A woman cannot be an immodest quote-unquote, which means without um, a covering, depending on the president, how strict that is. Uh, a woman, there's no public display of infection. There are so many things curtailing women's rights, um, and they are fed up. But I think what is really notable here is that despite the fact that these girls, these 15-year-olds, have been raised for four generations with school books that show head coverings and women at home taking care of kids, not they can't be judges, not having any public positions, these women four generations later are fighting for this right, um, and so that's really important. And and I want to say that they are sixty percent of the college educated uh, mm-hmm. population. They are um, they study STEM. Ninety percent ninety seven percent are in STEM. So these are not quiet you know subversive people, and they're and they're willing at this point to risk their life for this and. Everyone is in awe, including Iranians outside, at the risk that they're willing to take.
1: I want to back up a minute. Like, what is the morality police and what is their role?
4: Sure. Um, the morality police, it's a great question. There are a lot of different kinds of police from my perspective in Iran. It's almost hard to keep up. Oh. There are security police. There are plainclothes police that are kind of like our version of undercover cops. But instead of having a specific criminal or case that they're on, they're basically out there to catch you in a, an illegal act, particularly women. There are a lot of women that are the same kind of police. They're, they're covered from top to bottom, and they're out there to catch women that are not properly covered girls that are not properly covered again that's somewhat subjective but depending on the day and depending on the person that can mean a little piece of hair is shown that can mean a lot of hair is shown and they are the morality police and they're out there to make sure that people step in line and i think that what's really important is that a core tenet of this government is that the control of women and that has been sort of the basis of all things. And and the fact that women would have the audacity to say, I don't want this anymore, I want my human rights, I want my freedom, almost feels personal to these morality police. If you see them shoving a woman into a into the trunk of a car and there's no one around, so this is not crowd control, this is not deterrence, this is personal for some of these police. Mm. And it's about this, this deep-rooted need to be violent against women. And I think that's what's really shocking and terrifying, but also incredible in terms of what the risks that these girls are playing.
1: So Masa Amini died in police custody. Her family claims she was beaten, although the Iranian government denies that. But either way, this was a catalyst for the protests. 100%. Right? Absolutely. Well, how how widespread are the protests? Give us some context of it.
6: They are all over Iran, and it's happening um everywhere. And even cities that are uh, traditionally more religious, uh, such as Mashhad or Qom, even people from those cities are showing up on the streets. And what I wanted to touch on uh, is that women are, women and men are not just fighting against uh, compulsory hijab or the morality police. Uh, mm-hmm. What they're fighting against is gender apartheid, um, child marriage, torture, extrajudicial killings, forced confessions, uh, no free freedom of expression. So it it goes beyond this compulsory hijab and I think it's um, it's important for for people outside of Iran to um, make note of that and know that it's just not about the hijab anymore. It's the fact that they're fighting against theocracy. Ultimately
1: now you Ramona, you helped to organize these demonstrations here in Nashville You kind of touched on it a little bit with with what you just said But why is it really important to you to have these protests here to inform people who don't know of the situation in Iran? Um,
6: As I'm sure you know the you know public access to internet has been restricted by the government of Iran so getting the word out Because they want to, ultimately, they want to just push this under the rug. And uh, we've seen, you know, during the past days that every time somebody dies, they come up with ridiculous excuses and try to explain uh, away how a person died. And they try to say that they committed suicide. They had uh, pre-existing conditions. So for us to be their voice and amplify what's going on back home so that more people are gaining the knowledge and are more aware of uh, what's going on. Because ultimately, like I said, people, they just want to get rid of the theocracy mm. that they've been enduring for decades.
1: How has the turnout been at the local demonstrations?
6: It's been great. We, we just had uh, a great turnout in Houston. I'm actually going to D.C. this Saturday. Um, there is going to be a march from the National Mall to the White House, and they're expecting 20,000 people to show up. So I, I want to be there in person just because I feel like the more Uh, The bigger the crowd, the more attention it will get.
1: Now, Mariam, you you mentioned this a little bit with the young girls who are a part and prominent leaders in these protests that are happening in Iran. Tell us really why that is so significant.
4: It's it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, it brings me to tears because here you have— I've been watching Iran. I am the age of the revolution. Okay, I am 44 in a month. So I've been watching Iran for this long. Women's movements— uh, students' movements in 99. In 2009, you had millions of people in the street, and none of them could do and take it as far as these young girls are. Mm-hmm. And we watch in awe. And, and they, and you'll hear it in the videos that they post, you'll hear it in what they say. They say, I will go. One woman had her whole face beaten up, and she said, They hit me, they beat me, they're beating them with batons, they're trying to give them concussions. Like they do, they do not care. And she said, And I will go out tomorrow. And I will die if I need to. And when you decide that your life is worth this freedom, that there is no cost high enough, that's a powerful, powerful move. And I don't think we've had this many people decide this at the time. And and for a seven-year-old girl to do this at her school, girls— it, it says something completely different. Like the fear is out the door. And, and as Ramona spoke about it, this is in San Andaj. This is in Balochistan. These are, these are places in the country that are, in the same way, taking their rocks. They have no arms. They have no artillery. They have no guns. This is a completely asymmetric hmm. fight. And that, that I need people to know that as well. Like imagine if we just walked out of here and the government's shooting at us and we have nothing. We are not allowed to own, bear, you know, bare arms, etc. So these people are getting shot at, hit at, thrown into the trunk, and they're showing up the next day because nothing matters to them. I truly haven't understood the desire for freedom until these last four weeks.
1: What about the men? How are men showing they're
4: up? They're in it. Yeah, they're in it too. You'll see just immense respect, immense protection if a woman, especially in the early days as women started to not wear their headscarves in Iran and for us- for Iranian-Americans, for those that were born in mm. Iran, you, I, I live to see that day. I cannot believe it. people send pictures of them going to the mall without a head. It's shocking. It's almost like being naked in the streets. Mm. And I saw men being like, I'm just going to walk next to you, aside from you, just to keep, you know, be a protection if I can, if that's OK. And they're asking. So they're very much in support for this the The call, it's so bizarre. The call is not like it's like Ramona said. It's not like hijab or this or that. It's I want to be a young, free person. I want to experience my youth. Freely. I want to have a puppy dog and have a boyfriend and go to parties and be myself in this society in the streets. I want a job. Why are you educating people so much and then making them stay at home? There's a there's a 19% um, employment rate for women. I mean it's it's not it's not tenable. And so uh yeah, they they wanna be free and they are leading the way. And no matter how many of our armchair revolutionaries outside have thoughts about it, honestly, we're being led. By 15 year old girls. Mm-hmm. And we are humbled by that. And and it's really important that we keep our eye on that.
1: I, I wonder, you know, we talked about your mom before the show started, and much, <laughs> much thanks to being a loyal listener, you know, for Mariam's mom. Yeah. But how does she feel? You know, seeing uh, this, you know, yes. she's seeing this change. She's seeing this young generation really fight to make a generational change. I'd like to hear from both of you about how your mothers feel about this.
4: I mean, I'll I'll go quickly, Uh, you know, it's it's unbelievable. In all honesty, we were holding our breath for the violence that was going to come, the pain that was going to come, because we've been here before, right? She's been here before. And then as she sees them prevail and just be resilient and put nothing, hold nothing back, honestly, I feel that they are inspiring courage in them. You know, I hear so many women here say, I didn't have the courage to do that when I lived there. And they are. So it's immense. It's immense respect, regard, uh, relief maybe that the time comes that we are they are finally free. The time comes that we can come and go back and forth and be ourselves. Um, It's 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 an immense kind of. They can do this. And I don't know if anyone's had that feeling before. Ramona? Yeah, my
6: my mom, she's not a political active person whatsoever, but she's been watching the news very closely, and she's been posting about it. And just to see her kind of come out of her shelf and mm. start using her platforms, her social media platforms, to, you know make make her followers aware of what's going on back home and she's been encouraging me to get more involved which is why I've been more involved and been organizing the rallies so it's it's great that they they see w- the movement in Iran has encouraged a lot of us outside outside of Iran to d- do more because before um you, you know every time they had protests in Iran it was about what's, what was going on inside and it it wasn't like a movement in this um, magnitude. Mm. And I wanted to just point out that the men are standing right next to the women, and I think this is exactly why we're seeing the the movement gain momentum day by day. Mm. It's because Men are right there, next, next to the women, fighting right next to them.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Kalona. We're talking this hour about the ongoing unrest in Iran after the death of Massa Amini in police custody. My guests are writer Mariam Albufazli and local organizer Ramoni Ramona Hideri. Now, Mariam, you know Massa Massa Amini was a Kurdish woman, yeah. and in fact, her Kurdish name is actually Hina. That I pronounce it correctly, Gina. Gina, yeah. thank you. Now, why is that important to note? Like, tell us, tell us a little bit about why that's important to note here, and how, you know, we're we're taking caution about that word as it's happening.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to represent movements or people or anything like that, but from my observations, uh, a, a few things. Um, first of all, you know, there is kind of a an inability to be your ethnic self in Iran, you know, there is a, there is a a drive from the government, et cetera, that everyone must kind of conform to one language, one way of being one culture. Um, And uh, while, you know, obviously Kurds live all kinds, we have, we have dozens of ethnicities in Iran and they do live and they do thrive, but there is, there is um, a lack of acknowledge and sometimes even oppression in the opposite direction. So the, the, beauty of this thing is that one, she is Kurdish and the Kurdish people have spoken very loudly about what freedom means to them and what she means to them and have been very open about that. And that's very powerful to be your ethnicity and and have that culture and that heritage. The other important thing is there's complete unity. And I think that that's huge. There is unity among all ethnicities, among all Iranians of this fight for freedom. Whereas the government would love for people to be um, divided And separate and, oh, that's a that's a Kurdish problem and that's them and maybe even have like derogatory and oppressive remarks about that. Mm -hmm. That's not the case, not the case on the streets in the United States, as Ramona was talking about, the numbers, the sheer numbers of protests all across the world. And it's not the case in Iran because you have it in the south among the Arabic populations of Iran. And we do have Arab populations in Iran. You have it in the north. You have it everywhere. So I think that's really important. And, And for for everyone to be for that to be out that she was Kurdish and this was her name, and it wasn't actually her masa was her Iranian, you know, her Persian name, mm. but Gina is her Kurdish name, and we can be ourselves and be a united country and be a united people is remarkable.
1: According to the human rights activist news agency, two hundred and twenty-three people. Have died since the protests started in September. That's what we
4: know. That we know. Unfortunately, I believe it's much more.
1: You you both believe it's a lot higher. Yes, because of the inconsistency of the reporting and the government control of the news that flows out. And if
4: you just cover, if you just counted all the videos you saw of people being beaten harshly, it would be more than two hundred.
1: So those are incredible risks people are taking in these protests. You know what cautions are you and other protesters taking here Hmm. in Nashville?
6: I'm always afraid for my family back home, so I would have to be extra careful about my privacy here so that they're not in danger back home. I'm, I'm not afraid for myself, but I have to be cautious of what I post and what information about myself because, I mean, the news just came out that they've been placing apps on people's phones to, um, you know, spy on them, gain access to their information, private information, so uh, in that sense, I have to be very cautious about that, you know the information that I post about myself, so that mm-hmm. they they cannot misuse that information to, um, you know, bother my family back home. And if I could really quickly point out, back onto the Kurdish movement, I wanted to just mention the slogan for the movement: "Women, Life, Freedom." Mm-hmm. That initiated from Kurdistan, and the tra- that the the slogan is actually a translation of Zanjian Azadi. Which is translates back to Farsi "Zan Zanegi Azadi," which then translates to English "Women Life Freedom." Mm-hmm. So yeah, Massa has become the daughter of everyone back home. So it's just her being, you know, the daughter of everybody. That's been uh, the, one of the most um, important aspects of this movement. That it's not about just one part of the country. Everybody has risen up to
4: show their support uh, for her family.
1: It sounds like she's become the daughter of everyone here as well. Absolutely. Yeah,
4: I mean, I, I think, yeah, I when I talk to family members, they're like, I think the other thing about Masarjina that's important is she was just a regular person. She was not an activist. She wasn't making a claim. She wasn't, you know, waving a banner. She was just being herself. And I think that's what terrified and ignited people is that I just follow the rules and I'm still possibly... Uh, able to be killed uh that's a that's a social contract that has been broken and that's what's igniting uh the the fuel of that and in terms of the risks i mean i think some of us have to have made a a conscientious decision like i'm going to come out i'm going to do what it means and it might mean that i can't go back (laughs) you know it might mean that i have to be careful how much i communicate with family and friends inside and Mm -hmm. i have had that been communicated to me that um, I'm sorry I can't talk because they might take my phone Mm. while I walk down the street. And so we've had to cut off, you know, these kinds of things. But for me, that has been important because while I have my cush and comfortable and fairly safe life here in the United States, I, I can't not take risks, even a quarter or a tenth or a hundredth of the risks that they're taking there with their lives. So I just I can't sleep at night not doing
1: that. This ongoing display of resistance is very, very significant. And it's one of the most serious challenges posed to the Iranian government since the 1979 revolution. What sets this one apart?
4: Um... And, and by a part, by the, all the other things that have happened since then, I'm assuming, like there, mm-hmm. there's a 2000, I mentioned the 2009 um, protests, there was even protests in 2020.
1: There was some protests last year over there energy were, and water. Exactly.
4: And the economy, et cetera. And I will say, I mean, I, like I started out, it is that the girls and the youth are driving this and they are stopping at nothing. Because what you've had, like in 99, you had them uh, raid the university dorms and hurt and maim and even kill some people and put them in in prison. And that kind of squashed it. You had them do the exact same thing two weeks ago. And everyone woke up the next morning or a whole new group woke up the next morning and went out to the streets. So there's this terrifying symbol being sent to the Mm -hmm. government of like, you're going to have to kill all of us.
1: Ramona, what do you hope comes of this?
4: I, I just want
6: them to be free. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, liberty, liberty for the for the people of Iran, and I think, you know, once Iran is free, the world will be a a lot better place. Um, there would be no funding of terrorism by the government of Iran. That's yeah. for one, one thing to mention. And this this time, Iran is a lot different just because the backbone of the movement is the younger generation. And we're talking about schoolgirls as young as 15. Uh-huh. And so that, that's exactly why I feel like this, this movement is, is a lot different from the ones that we've seen in the past. It's because the backbone of it is the younger generation.
1: That is organizer Ramona Haderi. She was joined by writer Mariam Abu-Fazli. I want to thank both of you for being here with us today. I really appreciate talking to you about this important issue. Thank, thank you, you so thank
4: much. Thank you so we
5: much for the opportunity. It well.
6: Absolutely.
1: Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation about the local impact of the ongoing unrest in Iran. Join the conversation by tweeting us at ThisIsNashville. We'll be right back. Khalil and this is nashville in mid september protests in iran began after 22 year old Masa amini died in police custody she had been arrested for allegedly violating the police standards for modesty multiple generations of iranians have led by gen z and millennials have taken to the streets demanding an end to the totalitarian regime Those demands have rung out out here in Nashville, too. In those demonstrations held by our Iranian and other people, my guests are representatives of two generations of the Iranian community. Reza Sharif, whose daughter is one of the organizers of local demonstrations, he is joined by Ariana Blershon, a junior at Brentwood High School who attended the local demonstrations with her father. Reza, Ariana, Thank you both so much for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville.
0: Thank you you for having us.
5: Thank you for inviting us.
1: So Reza, I understand that you were originally from Tehran, but you left as a young man. So take me back. What was that time in your life like?
5: You know, I was a young man just trying to make it work. Uh, When the revolution happened very shortly, we realized that uh, we are taking the wrong path, Uh, basically every direction that we went, we hit the wall. Uh, There was no room to grow, pretty much. Uh, The first thing that came to my mind, what we saw pretty much, that was the only way we can get ahead was just leave the country, leave the home, only because especially for my case, uh, I was the first one in my family. Pretty much who left the country even years before that. Uh, I used to live in Europe. So um, there was no room to a step forward. So that was the reason I left my home. For growth? Exactly. Exactly,
1: And so you left this regime, oppressive regime. Yes. You, you, eventually you came to the States. Exactly. But some of your family members and friends have
5: remained. Oh, certainly. Yes. Ha, ha, have you been in communication with them? Uh, almost every day on a daily basis, you are in contact. Of course, these days are getting very difficult to be in touch with them. Uh, let me tell you something. Last Sunday, I tried to contact my brother. And uh, because of the news we heard, uh, uh, regarding the fire that happened in uh, Eveen prison, mm-hmm. in Notorious Prison. And uh, we, could only, we could only speak just a couple of sentences. Then I realized that my brother is repeating the things that he told me previously, just a few seconds before. And I keep listening more. Then I realized that they have recorded a couple of his sentences, and they are playing that on the phone And I knew my brother is not on the phone. And so after five minutes, uh, I had to hang up because I got so worried what's going to happen to them. Mm. Um, uh, It it was a very scary moment. And funny thing is I called my wife uh, and I told him this is what happened. And she said, well, Reza, this morning I had the same problem while I was on the phone with my mother. so, this is this is becoming a lifestyle for us. So, it's almost like it's worth it to give up everything you have just to fight. And that's what's happening in the streets of Tehran by these people. How worried are you
1: about your family?
5: be honest with you, I am still worried. Um, I, I feel these nuts in my belly right now uh, because we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. If people have no success in this movement, in this uprising, things are going to get a lot worse. We know that. And that's the scary part of it. Uh, In a very short period of time, they have arrested over 40,000 young students from different universities and schools. These are the best we have had. These are the cream of the crop. And they are in prison. Then when you hear the news about the prison that they were in is set on fire, mm-hmm. what would you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is definitely a scary moment with what we know about that regime, with what we know how brutal they act on streets. Um, pretty much, I personally, I feel miserable.
1: Mm. Right, thank you. For sharing that and I I hope that things are are, your family is healthy and they're safe. Now now, Ariana, how did you first learn about what happened to Massa Amini?
0: So it first started when I was just having a conversation with my dad. We like to talk sometimes at night, especially after his work. And then he brought up what had happened to Massa and how with just a little bit of hair showing and she was following all the rules and everything, she was fatally shot, thrown into a van and sent off to detention and then was later uh, unfortunately later passed away a few days later i i was completely shocked i had no idea what was really going on in iran at the time because iran kind of likes to hide things like the government mm. and that's also why they're kind of cutting off the internet and so people won't have access um to be able to send messages and cries for help for what's going on in Iran and what they're doing to these poor women it was honestly just in all it was absolutely heartbreaking
1: now does your family even though it's hard to understand what's happening in Iran does your family try to inform you do your does your father and your mother inform you about things in the history of it
0: yes they they've always um, taught me about Iranian like history Iranian culture but I didn't fully realize how bad it was and how much the media had been pushing aside what was really going on.
1: Now, when you see this movement being led by young women your age, how does that make you feel?
0: It honestly makes me feel very inspired, the fact that my generation is so incredibly brave to put their life out on the line. I think it just says so much and it's such a powerful movement that's going on and honestly i think it's very inspiring for us to take some action here right here in america and to show the Iranian women and girls my age that we have your back and we stand by you and we support you because what they're doing there is very wrong
1: now i just do i want to say that to our listeners that my masa amini wasn't shot but she was taken into custody and there were reports that she has been beaten that she was beaten by police. Now, you know, Reza, you have this great understanding of what has happened there. When, when you're talking to your children about life here in the United States, what are you conveying to them about the freedoms that they
5: have grown up with? I think the first thing I have done is uh, I made sure that they recognize what they have here. The meaning of freedom, the value that freedom represents, uh, this is, this is an asset. This is an asset that the kids in Iran do not have that. Uh, um, day comes and day goes, they have to protect this freedom that they have here. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I think if what we have here, if what our kids have here, the new generation in Iran, if they had all these things, none of these things, brutalities would have happened. Mm. We are missing that, and that's why. Basically, what happened, we allow them, we allow the regime to terrorize everyone because that little freedom was missing. Basically, what they did in the past 43 years, they have been chipping gradually on this... Little freedoms that we had, and uh, and I should point out uh, the most of the pressure has been on women. Maybe 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 because the laws that Iranian regime is following is is they are denying it, but they are following the Sharia law, and uh, they are not willing to change anything regarding these laws they have no leniency uh, regarding these laws that's why uh, women are feeling this pressure more and more and more my daughter is 19 years old and i am trying to tell her that honey this is what is happening in iran because we didn't protect our freedom Mm. 43 years old 43 years ago people like me uh we were we were pretty much lost, we shouldn't have done the mistake we made at that time. And today, I only, I'm, the only thing I'm really concerned at this age is that if I don't admit the mistake that I made 43 years ago, this problem is not going to be solved.
1: That, that's the very profound, my friend. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about how the ongoing unrest in Iran is resonating for members of our Iranian and Kurdish communities here in Nashville. Now, Ariana, you went to a local demonstration with your father. What was that experience like for you?
0: Honestly, the experience was honestly very great. I mean, we're all standing there as a community, shouting and saying her name, Masa Massa Amini and woman life freedom, which is very powerful. And honestly, it just it just shows that we have Iran's back, and it was such a great experience just to feel the community all come together as one, one power, one voice, and living in for Masa and the other people that have died.
1: Did you, you know, Reza was just sharing the messages about the freedoms that his children have here, and he was conveying the importance of that. Have you thought about that at all? Like when you think about this situation of you being a high school junior here, if you were in Iran, you'd be out on the streets. You're out on the streets here, but it's a totally different environment over there. Have you thought about the freedoms that you have here and the responsibilities that you have to spread this message?
0: Yes, so I feel like most people here don't realize the amount of freedom we have. We have the freedom of speech. We have the freedom to spread the word about what's going on compared to those in Iran who unfortunately um, are not going to be able to have that access as much anymore. And I feel like it is our responsibility, especially with my generation and the younger generations, to spread the news. We can do something about this. As long as we keep spreading the news and all over the media, I feel like as long as it gets great coverage, it will do a great amount of effort in helping people in Iran.
1: How has the use of social media impacted, you know, the knowledge that you have and your peers about what's happening over there?
0: Yeah, so there's as many um, reporters as there is with people with cell phones. Anyone Mm. that has a cell phone is able to report on what's going on. And there have been very brave citizens that were able to record the hostility that's been going on in Iran. And... The tragedy that's been going on in there. And I feel like um, with just spreading this news and um, with what's been going on in Iran, it can just do great wonders just to get the word out there and the fact that we can all be our own reporters in a sense.
1: Now, Reza, your daughter, you took your son to the demonstration, but your daughter is one of the organizers of it. So how does that make you feel to have your children so closely involved with this movement?
5: Yesterday, I hugged her, and I told Mm -hmm. her how proud of of her I am. Uh, This is very new to us. Uh, Even for me, this is something very new to see my daughters growing up and showing a sight that I have never seen, Mm -hmm. a sight that I always wished my family would have it. And I think a lot of good things are going to come out of this. Uh, Now new generation is more open. And I think that's the only thing that Iran's regime is going with such a force to put a damper on their voices because it was so unexpected. They didn't expect all these kids come out and chant on the streets and uh, voice out what they have in their mind. It was very unexpected. It it wasn't even something cultural. It it wasn't in our culture even that the kids raised their voice, such as what they did in past months.
1: What do you want people to understand about what's going on in Iran? And most importantly, what it means.
5: Uh, Usually, we don't realize... Um, what we have until we don't have it. This freedom that people have here, they truly, truly, as just she mentioned, people don't realize what they have and how valuable this is. Uh, All I can say is don't lose it because once you lose it, it is very difficult. There are evil forces out there to prevent you from catching them and getting all these things back. So protect them. Please protect them as much as you can. And um, and, and that's the only wish I have for my kids, honestly. Mm.
1: Now, Ariana, what message do you have for your peers, fellow high school students in Nashville, Middle Tennessee, across the country? What message do you have for them about this?
0: My message would be to speak up. Everybody here has their own voice that they can use. It's your voice is very powerful and put multiple voices together. That's extremely powerful. So since we're so blessed to be in a free country, use your voice, use it to the fullest potential you can please spread awareness.
1: Reza, what are you hoping for the future of your home country, for the future of Iran?
5: It may be a little far distance, but I truly hope we see some major changes in Iran, such as change of regime. Um, fine-tuning is not working anymore in Iran, uh, even though they are not even able to do the fine-tuning. And I truly hope... Uh, this government, or I should say this regime, uh, or um, um, religious zealous, just they need to go away. This is not working. For 40 years they taught our kids to just spread their word, think the way they think, and it never worked. For 40 years they tried it, it never worked. So. Once you hit the wall, so you better go let some other people come in with new ideas. The Iranian population is a very young population. They could be very productive. And we have a lot of very well-educated people in Iran that could be uh, very helpful to today's societies. And unfortunately, uh, regime of mullahs and ayatollahs are not allowing that.
1: That is Reja Sab- Sharif and Ariana Boloshan. I want to thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you for this conversation and thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll learn more about the newly renovated Children's Memorial Garden, which remembers kids lost to acts of violence. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our interns tori hoover and the masterminds behind our theme music larange and namir blade special thanks to louisa shafi shafiha yasmin akbari and lexi marshall the conversation doesn't end here tweet us at this is nashville find us on instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online this is nashville i'm kaliole colonna we'll see you tomorrow everybody and be really good to each other